Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. I'm a Georgia Tech grad and a Louisville fan. He is Mike McDaniel. He's a Virginia Tech grad and a Notre Dame fan. Mike, first question, did you enjoy some sweet Week 2 ACC action? I did. It went better for some than others. Um, We'll get to the others in just a minute. Uh, (laughs) But, yeah, I enjoyed it. I was down in Blacksburg for the Tech-Delaware game. We'll get into that, too, because I was less than enthused by what I saw from the Hokies a week after that win against West Virginia. So we'll get into that as well. But, yeah, um, another week down, Joey, Uh, already two weeks in. We're starting to learn a little bit more about these teams now, and – you know, hopefully we get a little bit better gauge on these teams as we move deeper into the schedule here, as we always do. But, yeah, we're starting to get a taste on kind of what these teams are and what their weaknesses and strengths are as well, which is always a good thing, uh, you know, coming out of week two and hanging into week three. That's absolutely right. And I'll, I'll throw in there, too, that you weren't the only one this weekend that watched a tech team that you were unenthused about against an FCS competition. We'll get there as well. Uh, but, Mike, we got to start recapping these games with the headliner of the weekend, the number three Clemson Tigers 14, the number 13 Auburn Tigers 6. And and I know that you watched this game very closely, and this was a really impressive showing from Clemson here. Auburn held to 117 total yards of offense. And maybe one of the most impressive stats I've ever seen in a top 25 game, Mike, the Clemson defense came away with this win this game with 11 sacks of Auburn. And that is, to me, that is mind-boggling. I, I did not really get a chance to watch this game so closely. Tell me about how nasty Clemson's defense was in this game. Yeah, I mean, look, Auburn's offense with Jared Stidham adds a whole new dimension to the table that Auburn really hasn't had since Nick Marshall. I mean, Nick Marshall wasn't a great passer. I don't want to make that comparison between Stidham and Nick Marshall as far as from a passing perspective, but... This is the best quarterback that Auburn has had since Nick Marshall. Nick Marshall's a guy that took Auburn to the national championship under Gene Chis- under um, I'm sorry, Gus Malzahn. But what ended up happening in this game on Saturday night is that Clemson's defense was able to load the box. They stopped the run. Cameron Petaway, 22 carries, 74 yards. Only you know it's a shade under three and a half yards per carry, so he wasn't all that effective. Jarrett Stidham, 13 of 24 for 79 yards. This is a guy who you'll remember at Baylor threw the ball all over the field when he was a freshman there. He had a ton of trouble against Clemson's secondary, constantly under pressure the entire night. They couldn't establish a run game. Like you mentioned, 11 sacks from Clemson's defense. That was huge. And as a result, Clemson was able to get off the field, especially on third down, which I thought was a difference in this football game. Uh, Clemson offensively, they were pretty solid. I mean, Kelly Bryant, 19 29, 181. He has 19 carries, 59 yards, and two touchdowns. He was really the only source of offense for Clemson in this football game because Auburn's defense on the other side did a, a really nice job as well. But Clemson had a little bit more offensively, as you and I had talked about last week when we did the preview for week two. We thought that Clemson's offense would have a little bit easier time moving the ball against Auburn's defense than Auburn's offense would against Clemson's defense. That ended up playing out true, and the issue with Auburn, of course, was protecting Jared Stidham with the 11 sacks, which I'm not sure either of us saw coming. So, better than expected performance from Clemson's defense. We all knew that they were going to be really, really good this year. They're even better than we expected, and this was the first real solid test here against Auburn, and they passed it with flying colors. Auburn had no answers for the front seven of Clemson. And as a result, the secondary had their way as well. Just a really strong performance from the Clemson defense. And look, I mean, Kelly Bryant is not Deshaun Watson, but, you know, this game proves that he doesn't have to be Deshaun Watson for Clemson to win and put themselves in position to be right there in the national championship hunt at season's end. 
Clemson's a real player in the ACC. We thought they would be prior to the DeAndre Francois injury at Florida State. We knew Clemson would be that other team kind of lurking around trying to get back into the college football playoff mix. But this game on Saturday night proved that Clemson's defense is more than willing and more than able to propel them to a college football playoff no matter what this Clemson offense does. That was going to be my next question, Mike, is this this kind of win and this dominance of Clemson's defense against what should be a pretty good offense of Auburn, does that change how you feel about the Tigers' chances in the ACC Atlantic now that DeAndre Francois has gone down? Uh, to a degree it does, uh, more so because, you know, I think this is the real the first real test for Kelly Bryant, a quarterback. Um, you know, we thought the defense of Clemson would be really good, and maybe they were even better than we expected against Auburn, but the offense was going to be the question, whether or not they could move the ball similarly to how they ran the, ran the ball and threw the ball last year. Uh, look, this isn't the same offense. Um, it, it would be unfair to ask them to be the same offense based on how much production they lost across the board, quarterback, running back, the wide receivers that they lost on the offensive side of the football um, a- after last season. But, you know, look at who they return. Um, you know, they do have C.J. Fuller, Tavian Feaster, Ray Ray McLeod, Hunter Renfro, Deion Kane. I mean, there are still playmakers on this offense, and Kelly Bryant has looked really, really solid through two games here for Clemson, and that's really all you can ask for. Um, we didn't really know what we were going to get with Kelly Bryant because all our experience with him prior to this was in mop-up time behind Deshaun Watson, but you know he's proven that he's a guy who can move the football up and down the field for Clemson. If you can just manage the game, I think this defense is definitely good enough to not only beat Florida State, but put them in a position here in the college football playoff because this defense is so unbelievably gifted and so good, even better than they were last year, because this Clemson defense could get away with a little bit more defensively last year. Um, They could have some issues covered up by how good this offense was for the Tigers, but this defense has now taken a step forward with all the young guys progressing another year, offseason conditioning and training in the weight room, and you can see them here through two games really – be able to force their will on their opponent I mean Kent State was one thing but when you do it against Auburn that's a whole different thing and yeah so the defense is even better than I thought it does kind of change my mindset a little bit because Clemson's defense is so dominant I think if they get Florida State in a bind Clemson's going to put themselves in great position because Florida State you'll know has an awesome defense themselves but can they move the football on Clemson and if the answer is no you know you're inclined to pick the Tigers I think that Clemson is a pretty ideal embodiment of what we kind of said that we might see from the ACC coming in this year relative to last year, where last year you saw a much more offensively talented uh, a group that sent a lot of players to the NFL draft, especially at the skill positions. Several quarterbacks were, were leaving the conference coming into this year. And we said that you were going to see a more defensive style of football or you know more uh, defenses dominating games. And that's exactly what you're getting from Clemson right here, is that this offense is putting up numbers that are not anywhere near what it has the last couple of years. But it doesn't have to. I mean, they're winning games because their defense is so dominant. As you mentioned, Kelly Bryant is not Deshaun Watson, but that's not an insult. I mean, Deshaun Watson probably between 2015-2016 was probably the best overall quarterback in the country across those two years. So that's not an insult to say that he's not quite living up to that standard, but still you can see how this offense is able to put up yards and points to a degree that uh, is going to keep them in football games and going to win them games uh, as long as their defense is is, uh, putting together what they have been able to here the first couple weeks. And I think what you're going to continue to see from them here over the coming coming weeks and months for the rest of this season. Uh, But overall, yeah, very, very impressive showing from Clemson on Saturday night under the bright lights. Uh, They're going to have another one next week, but we'll talk about that here in a few minutes. Speaking of which, Mike, the team they're going to play next weekend, the number 17 Louisville Cardinals 47, North Carolina 35 in a game that uh, I think turned out a little shootouty to the degree that we probably thought it would have. Um, Chaz Surratt played really well for North Carolina in the first half. 12-14, 12-14, two touchdowns before he had to leave after halftime with an injury. Brandon Harris threw the ball fairly well after halftime. Not great, but overall, Mike, the story here, you guessed it, Lamar Jackson. <laughs> you didn't have to guess. I knew. 25-39, uh, 393, and three touchdowns, no picks through the air. That's outstanding to go with it. 19 carries, 132 yards, and three touchdowns on the ground. So he accounted for, oh, I don't know, over 500 yards of offense and six touchdowns on his own, which 
stop me if you ever heard me talk about Lamar Jackson this way before. Uh, now, I will say, Mike, I, I watched this game uh, quite a bit of it. And my takeaways, I, I tweeted out a couple of things that I, I stand by how I feel about Louisville this year. North Carolina's defense was clearly outmatched in this game, especially from a scheme standpoint, but to a certain degree from a talent standpoint. And yet there are just some things that I see from Louisville that they are not particularly well coached, especially in the secondary on defense and on the offensive line on offense. I, you know, they score 47 points in this game. I'm not like particularly impressed given the competition that they scored it against. I still have very real concerns about the Cardinals this year. I, I think I tweeted out that, take Lamar Jackson out of this team and, and give him just an average quarterback. And this is like a six and six team and Lamar Jackson on the meet, And on the other hand is able to make them pretty outstanding, you know, going to be a nine or 10 win kind of team this year. So I, I'm not particularly impressed with what I saw from this team outside of Lamar Jackson, but for now they do have him. He's healthy and he is back in form of what we saw him earlier last year. So the Cardinals seem to be rolling here early, Mike. To your point about the caliber of opponent or caliber of defense they were playing, this is a stat courtesy of Inside Carolina. UNC ranks 127th nationally in yards per game allowed. They're giving up 587 yards per contest and yards per plate allowed. 7.53 yards per play. Now, you did face Louisville yesterday, and Lamar Jackson was a video game. Uh, But week one, you faced Cal. And look, North Carolina... You know, a lot of fans, I, I've been reading the replies to that tweet, a lot of fans are pointing to the fact that they did play Lamar Jackson yesterday. That's fair, but you do have to remember that they played Cal last week, a rebuilding offense, a rebuilding program, whole new coaching staff. you got to play better on the defensive side of the ball. This isn't all Lamar Jackson. This is, a, a you know, a combination of Lamar Jackson and underperforming at home against Cal a rebuilding team in the Pac-12. I mean, you can't have that happen in back-to-back weeks. So they really miss Gene Chizik. Really, really miss Gene Chizik. Um, and that's what this whole thing boils down to. I agree with you for the rest of Louisville, right? Like, offensive line, really poor. Um, secondary clearly has issues when Brandon Harris throws for 216 and a touchdown in one half yesterday, coming in relief at Chad Surratt, who was really, really good in the first half before he hurt his leg. Um, but, yeah, some serious issues for Louisville. Good news is Lamar Jackson – threw and ran the ball well. Malik Williams, 13 carries, 149 yards. He was really solid as well. Louisville's going to need that kind of rushing attack next weekend when they face off against Clemson at home. But you're 2-0 if you're the Cardinals. It's a good place to be, but there are still some issues, especially on the offensive line. By the way, Mike, that Cal team that uh, torched UNC offensively last year, last week, any idea what they did this week? Uh, d- do not. A 33-20 dominating barn burner win over... The Weber State Wildcats. Yep. That's an FCS team. That's embarrassing. They won by 13. So that's the uh, the buzzsaw Cal team that put up a whole bunch of yards against UNC last week. All to say that North Carolina's defense, not good. Um, and, and seems like it's going to continue to be a problem here. But, that does, I mean, like you said, though, Louisville's defense also not absolved of wrongdoing in this game. Uh, North Carolina still puts up a whole bunch of yards on offense, over 400. And, and I mean, there, there's problems that are going to be really exploited later this year as Louisville starts to face tougher defenses. Clemson's in particular coming up next week. Yeah, uh, the one thing I will credit Louisville's defense on now, you know, secondary has major issues, but Louisville held North Carolina to 23 carries as a team for 17 yards. So North Carolina did have a rushing touchdown by Michael Carter in this game, but they averaged less than a yard a carry. So North Carolina was slinging it around quite a bit, yes, but when they were running the ball, they weren't doing it with much success. So props to Louisville there, but the secondary does need to get better. Yeah, there's some some glimpses of of hope there. Even if you take out Chaz Surratt's four carries for minus 31 yards on a couple of sacks and such, I mean, it still comes up to a pretty nice number of, I think, 19 carries for something like close to 50 yards, which not as dominant, but still a pretty good mark for a defense. So we'll see if if Louisville's defense can improve. I'm not super confident in them. But for now, 41-35 winners, or 47-35 winners, excuse me, over North Carolina. They cover 9.5, by the way, just throwing that out there. Um, But, again, they've got a, a really tough matchup next weekend at home against Clemson. We will get back to that here in a little while. Meanwhile, Mike, 
Moving on, number four, Penn State 33, Pittsburgh 14. I got to talk about, first of all, the fact that Pitt managed to cover 22.5. I'm not totally sure how, except I guess when you look at it, Pitt just completely sat on the ball in this game. 38 minutes of possession. They had way more plays than Penn State did in this game. I think Pitt ran 40 or 90, let's see, 86 offensive plays to Penn State's uh, 42 or 52 plays. So a huge, huge difference in possession. Pitt really played a slow game, ran the ball a ton, uh, tried to keep, you know, tried to shorten the game. Unfortunately, Penn State showed their ability to score quickly. Overall, I mean, there were a couple gaffes here and there for for Pitt's defense, but largely, I mean, they they gave Penn State's offense a lot of problems, and this is a very talented Penn State offense. Uh, Meanwhile, on offense, Pitt, just managed to keep the chains moving. I don't know how, I don't know why, but uh, they they were able to to keep the thing moving down the field, keep their offense on the field. Uh, they, they struggled to score and, and finish drives in the way that a lot of teams have recently. But um, overall, I mean, I feel like this could have been a lot worse for Pitt. Um, it, it wasn't particularly pretty, but they managed to keep themselves in the game pretty fairly well, I would say. I mean, it was 21-6 at the end of the third quarter, which isn't just like a total runaway blowout. So overall, relative to expectations, I don't know about you, Mike, but I was fairly impressed with what I saw from Pitt to a certain degree. Uh, there's one thing you left out. It's that Ben DiNucci got in the game for Pittsburgh. Ben freaking DiNucci. And if you all are listening to this wondering, uh, who's Ben DiNucci? Why is that name ring a bell? If you'll flash back to the Pinstripe Bowl last December, uh, Ben DiNucci came in uh, in relief of Nate Peterman when Nate Peterman got hurt. Ben DiNucci was 3 of 9 for 16 yards with one touchdown and two interceptions. He almost had as many interceptions as he did completed passes. And he got in the game for Pittsburgh on Saturday and actually had a rushing touchdown on his first play. Yeah, so, Ben. That boy, Ben DiNucci. Get him. Uh, way to go, buddy. Um yeah, okay, so now to more pressing topics. You mentioned the time of possession discrepancy. Pittsburgh sat on the ball. Uh, you and I talked about this in the preview. Like, that was literally the only way they were going to cover the spread, and that's how they did it. They sat on the ball. They outgained Penn State, so good on you, Pitt, right? Um, 24 first downs to 14 for Penn State, so Pitt's got the advantage there, but Pitt turns the ball over three times. So if you're Pittsburgh, you go on the road to Happy Valley against a Penn State team that most believe is really good, and, you know, they do have a great offense. You can't turn the football over like you did and expect to win this football game. Uh, they hung around longer than I think most expected them to. Um, this game was never really in danger of an upset if you were Penn State, but you could see Pittsburgh just kind of lingering, 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 and if, you know, you don't turn the football over, you might have a better chance to win this football game if you're Pittsburgh. Um, so decent performance there. Defensively, I thought they held up pretty well. Uh, maybe it's just because they weren't on the field all that much. I think that is really what we can attribute this to. I mean, the offense is on the field almost 40 minutes of this football game for Pittsburgh, and I think that really helped the defense out. So maybe that's a that's a strategy that you know they could use moving forward. Um, you know, whether or not it'll work against other ACC teams, you know, we'll kind of have to see. But you know, I know Pat Narduzzi wants his offense to put up a million points. And, you know, that's fine, but it puts a lot of pressure on your defense if your offense isn't scoring and is really, you know, turning the football over and giving the ball back on three and outs and your defense is on the field the whole game. Uh, McSorley, three touchdowns and a pick, only 164 yards passing. So pretty decent job by the Pittsburgh secondary, I thought, even though they gave up three touchdown passes. Um, they held McSorley to under six yards per completion. So I thought that was good. It was kind of bend but don't break for most of the afternoon. Uh, Saquon Barkley, who can absolutely kill you, 14 carries for 88 yards. I was actually a little bit surprised I didn't give him the ball a little bit more, but McSorley also had 65 yards rushing from the quarterback position, so that plays into it a little bit. And then finally, um, I I thought for the most part Pitt did a nice job on Penn State's receivers. When Saquon Barkley is the leading receiver with four catches for 45 yards, I think you've kind of done your job when they're you know delegating the passing game to the running back. I think that says a lot about the Pittsburgh defense and what they were able to accomplish on Saturday. Even though they gave up 33 points, they did put a lot of pressure on their defense because of the turnovers, even though they weren't on the field all that much. When you give the ball back to Penn State, a really solid offense three different times, uh, you know, this is the outcome. So 
it could have been a lot worse for Pittsburgh. I thought they employed the right game plan. I think Pat Narduzzi was smart in knowing that his team couldn't score with Penn State, so you had to try to run the football well and, and keep Penn State's offense off the field, and they did that for the most part, but the turnovers came back to bite them, but you did see some positive steps taken by Pittsburgh as a team on Saturday. Yeah, real quick, uh, celebration for Pittsburgh secondary. That Yeah, they generally held Penn State's passing game in check to a certain degree. Uh, 15 completions for 164 yards and three touchdowns for Trace McSorley, which all told, actually probably better than we would have expected here. Um, Mike, would you believe me if I told you that Penn State's longest drive of the game was seven plays and ended in a field goal? That's not bad for Pittsburgh at all. Penn State had four touchdown drives of one play, six plays, one play, and six plays. Um, and seven plays was the single longest sustained drive they had all game. It was kind of a weird game that way where Pitt was able to run several very lengthy drives. They had a 15-play, 31-yard drive in the first half. Uh, so sit, sit back and ponder that one for a second. It lasted eight minutes and ended in a punt. So... That went all right. Um, but this is the story of the game was stuff like that where Pitt was able to sit on the ball, uh, just run clock, kind of move it down the field without ever actually getting into the end zone and, and really struggling just to get into scoring position whatsoever. So uh, that, that wasn't, wasn't particularly great, but it did keep them in the game deep into the fourth quarter. So uh, bravo for that strategy. And by the way, Mike, we got to play America's favorite game here. Someone in this game, someone in this game had 17 touches for 126 yards, and that's 7.4 yards per touch. Can you name that Quadri, Mike? Quadri Allison. That is correct. That is Quadri Allison. 15 carries, 96 yards, uh, plus two catches for 30 yards through the air. Uh, Quadri Allison is the Quadri of the week here for Pittsburgh. Uh, Well done, and uh, and another fun rendition of America's favorite game. Name that Quadri. Uh, Yeah, Penn State 33, Pittsburgh 14. Mike, you good to move on? Yep, I'm good. I mean, we could keep talking about this game, though, or we could talk about Wake Forest over Boston College. What's, what's, your, what's your preference there? Yeah, let's talk Wake BC. I can't believe I said that. Um, so Boston College, really, really bad. By the way, Wake Forest 34, Boston College 10 in Chestnut Hill. Really poor performance, Joey, by the Boston College offense. I feel like I've been saying that now for basically four years but here we are again um i picked boston college to win this game so shame on me uh wake forest not exactly world beaters on offense but john wolford had a day 13 of 19 150 151 yards and a touchdown average almost eight yards per completion he also had 20 carries for 92 yards and a touchdown um cade carney my weekly recipient of the not acc player of the week 13 carries, 40 yards, and a touchdown, so good for Carney. Uh, Boston College passing game, uh, not great. Anthony Brown and Darius Wade, 18 of 41 combined for 163 yards, a touchdown, and three interceptions. That's four yards of completion between the two quarterbacks, so that wasn't good. Uh, running game continues to struggle. Uh, I've brought this up a couple different times, Joey. John Hilleman, like, where is he? Like, where in the world is John Hilleman? Eight carries, 23 yards on the day, 2.9 yards per carry. There were 41 carries total by Boston College uh, when taking all their all their runners into account for 142 yards. That sounds okay, but really it was only about 3.5 yards per carry. So Boston College had a lot of trouble moving the ball against a Wake Forest De- Demon Deacons defense that's really just okay. Um you know, I, th- I think they kind of surprised us, actually, with how good they were last year, that Wake Forest defense. But uh, my biggest takeaway from this game, Boston College's offense is really, really bad. And um, I wrote this on my website, Joey, shameless plug, inside the ACC.com. Wrote it in my, you know, five storylines for week two. It's like this is the battle for bowl eligibility in week two because the draws for the for both of these teams in the Atlantic Division where you have Florida State, Clemson, Louisville, NC State, both teams draw Notre Dame. Boston College actually has Notre Dame this coming weekend, which should be a loss. And then you have Coastal Division games that are pretty tough that, you know, at best I see these both these teams splitting their Coastal Division games. 
it's tough to get to six wins at that point. You've got to win the rest of your games, including this one from this past Saturday. And Boston College wasn't able to get the job done. And unless they pull off a massive upset, they're going to have a really, really tough time making a bowl game, in my opinion. I mean, if you just look straight at the numbers, Boston College with a little over 300 yards of offense, it took them 82 plays to get there, so not ideal. I think the biggest thing that sticks out to me is that they turned the ball over four times in this game. Anthony Brown throws three picks. Uh, there's another fumble by John Hilleman that gets lost. Uh, this is not not pretty from them. Meanwhile, Wake Forest ends up also with about 100 and, or, or about 300 yards of offense. Uh, roughly the same number of plays, you know, maybe a little more efficient, but they don't turn the ball over. And that's the difference in this game, Mike, is Wake Forest took care of the ball. And it, I think it's kind of indicative of where these teams are at is that Wake Forest is a much better coach team right now. Um, neither one is going to be lighting up a whole bunch of scoreboards. Uh, they're they're going to play pretty decent defense and uh, try to keep a low, a, a low scoring game and, and win it that way with their defense. And the difference is that Wake Forest is a better coach team than Boston College is just flat out. They end up with the same number of yards, roughly the same number of first downs. You know, Wake had the ball for a few more minutes. The difference here is that Boston College turned the ball over four times and Wake didn't turn it over at all. That's that's the difference in this game. I think it's the difference where these programs are at right now. That's why Wake Forest wins this game by 24 points. On the road. On the road in Chestnut Hill. Um, yeah, I think Boston College, I think, was like a point-and-a-half favorite or something in this game, and they lost by over three touchdowns. Um, I'm, I'm very, very concerned with where Boston College is going into the rest of this season. As you mentioned, I mean, you want to start talking about bowl eligibility. Boston College is going to lose the next two games against Notre Dame and Clemson. They might, they might be able to win against Central Michigan. They're going to lose to Virginia Tech, Louisville, Florida State, NC State, maybe Syracuse. I mean, like, yeah, it's, it's looking pretty bleak for Boston College here this year. And you start wondering, you know, what, what is Steve Adazio's future as the head of this program? I don't know that I'm seeing them progress whatsoever. There, there's nothing here that indicates to me that this is a team that's getting better. So I don't see why you keep a guy like Adazio around when nothing seems to be improving under him. Not good for BC whatsoever, but, I mean, we can move on. Duke beat Northwestern. Yeah, they did. Um, Look by at a you, lot, Duke. by the way. 41-17, Daniel Jones, uh, stud. That's probably the best word I could think to describe him. Yeah, uh, 305 yards passing, two touchdowns, 108 yards rushing, two more touchdowns. All the offense was essentially him by himself. Threw the ball to TJ Roming a bunch, 12 catches, 127 yards for him. Uh, what are your takeaways from this, Joey? Like, is Duke better than we think they are? Is Northwestern just really, really bad? Combination of both? I'm going with combination of both. I think Duke's probably a little bit better than we thought they were, and Northwestern is probably a lot worse than we thought they were. I'm with you. I'm going with the uh, the last line of Guardians of the Galaxy where Chris Pratt says, bit of both. Bit of both. Uh, Daniel Jones, yeah, by the way, since we're talking about Lamar Jackson having 300-yard passing games and 100-yard rushing games, can we talk about Daniel Jones having, yeah, 300 yards on the, through the air and 100 yards on the ground, four touchdowns himself? Um, I think Duke, yeah, actually might have a little bit of something this year. And I, I think something that Ben Swain told us in the preview was, this team was going to be relying on a lot of guys who were either injured last year or redshirting last year, so we're not we're not as familiar with them. But that doesn't mean they're they're incapable. Um, truth be told, I, I don't know what Northwestern is, and I I'm very concerned that they might not be any good at all, and so we might be overrating this performance a little bit. But ultimately, even if they're not that good, I mean Duke just flat out dominated this game. Uh, they they outgained Northwestern by over 400 yards. Uh, excuse me, 300 yards, uh, 538 to 191. Uh, math is hard. Uh, they outpossessed them by over 20 minutes, 41 minutes to uh, just under 19. Duke dominated this game top to bottom. Uh, Daniel Jones continues to light other teams up, uh, both through the air and on the ground. Uh, I think the Blue Devils have something here, Mike. And, and I don't know that their schedule is going to totally enable them to just you know, uh, run away and maybe win the coastal in the way that they did a few years ago. But uh, I think they're going to they're going to make some noise here in the division, especially with some teams looking like where they might be at. Um, I, I think they've got a chance to make some noise and maybe win seven or eight games. Um, th this is a a pretty workable schedule here over the next couple weeks. Home against Baylor and at UNC, they still got games at Virginia uh, against Pittsburgh at home at Army uh, at Wake Forest. There, there's some winnable games here for Duke. 
uh, and that's before they even would have to upset anybody else. So uh, I, I'm a fan of where the Blue Devils are at for now, if, if I'm a fan of anything about the Blue Devils. So um, I think they're doing all right here, Mike. I guess we'll wait and see. Uh, I still want to see them go up against a good offense. I don't think we've seen them, at least on the defensive side, go up against anybody really of note offensively yet. So Very true. I guess, yeah, so that's my only question. I mean, that was the real question for me for Duke this year heading to the season. It was like, okay, well, running backs stay healthy. Jones has like a couple guys to throw to, and Jones is really good. We've been hyping him up now for about a year and a half. Since we saw like three games of him last year, we're like, oh, my God, this kid's good. Um yeah, still really good, but what's this defense? Uh, they look good against Northwestern. They look good in the opener against whoever the hell they played. I can't even remember, but um, wasn't wasn't anybody any good. It was an FCS opponent. So if you're Duke, moving forward, like you said, Baylor, UNC, two offenses that are better. How will that defense hold up? That'll tell us a lot about where Duke's going to be later in this season. But um, yeah, I like where Duke's at too. Duke 41, Northwestern 17. Let's move on, Mike. Indiana 34, Virginia 17. This was my pick of the week, was taking uh, Indiana minus three in this game. They covered pretty easily. Both won money on that, by the way. Yes, we did. Uh, y'all need to start listening to us. We're profitable. Uh, can we, Can I go to Twitter real quick and tell you about two things that happened in this game, Mike? Please, because they're both fantastic. They are pretty remarkable. Uh, these are things that – so I, I was watching this game as it went on because I – bet on it and that was really my main interest here but uh tweet number one from at bc podcast acc uva just faked a field goal in the first quarter they didn't get it and then that like thinking face emoji uh that was thing number one thing number two virginia just punted from the indiana 38 yard line indiana fair caught it at the two time to watch something else i think that was me uh this was, yeah, I mean, this was not a pretty game, Mike. Let's let's say that. Uh, Indiana ended up going to their backup quarterback. Uh, their, their starter, Richard Lego, starts out 3-for-10 for 24 yards and a pick, and they, they switch over to the backup, and Peyton Ramsey made a case to take that job altogether. He goes 16-20, 173, and two touchdowns. Uh, so Indiana was a, a very different team once they changed quarterbacks. They got some mobility out of Ramsey. He goes 12 of 42, uh, 12 carries for 42 yards and a touchdown. Uh, really, that was when the thing, the, the, oh, the whole offense started to open up. They got some on-target passing. They, they were able to start splitting up Virginia's defense a little bit. Overall, I thought Virginia's defense held in there all right. Uh, the, the, the Hoosiers come away from this game a little over 300 yards of offense, so nothing, you know, otherworldly. Um, and ultimately, the Cavs were in this for quite a while. Um, it was 17-3 at halftime. But as you said before, I mean, this game was never really in doubt for Indiana. The The Hoosiers kind of dominated this in a way that I expected them to. Uh, Virginia's defense was able to kind of keep them in the game to a certain degree and gave Indiana some problems on offense. But uh, ultimately, I mean, Virginia, again, issues running the ball, 25 carries for 55 yards and a touchdown, not great. And when you make Kurt Benkert throw the ball 66 times in a game, you're probably not going to come away winners. So not a particularly pretty afternoon for Virginia. I thought there were maybe a couple of encouraging signs here and there, but the problem is that this probably should have realistically been more competitive than it was. Um, And and the fact that it wasn't gives me very, a significant amount of concern for Virginia and thinks that they might not be any better than we thought they might be this year, which was not very good at all. Um. I take a little bit different stance on this. Like, I think Virginia has been more competitive through two games than they were last year, um, which, I mean, isn't saying a ton, right, because they lost to Richmond in the opener and then got stomped in Week 2 last year. But uh, Virginia's 1-1 one one now. They're in this game against Indiana for the first quarter and a half. I mean, they're really hanging in there, right? And then, you know, Indiana makes a couple plays offensively. Um a long catch by Simi Cobbs, a couple missed tackles. That was the one major concern here for Virginia, like defensively. Outside of Micah Kaiser and Quinn Blanding, who you got? And that was really apparent um, on the afternoon yesterday for Virginia because Donovan Hale and Simi Cobbs both caught long passes, took short passes, yards after the catch, missed tackles everywhere for Virginia on defense, especially on the Simi Cobbs touchdown. 
Um, he's a guy that will absolutely kill you if he gets into the open field, and that's exactly what he did. So Virginia's defense held up okay, but there were a lot of fundamental issues with what they were doing yesterday afternoon um, as we record this on Sunday night. Uh, Kurt Benkert has been a lot better than I expected him to be uh, through two games. He's not turning the football over. He looks a lot healthier. 259 yards passing yesterday and a touchdown on 66 attempts. Granted, that's not great, but it's better than I expected him to be. Uh, The running game is a major issue with Virginia right now. They do miss Smoke Mizell. Jordan Ellis, 14 carries, 44 yards and a touchdown. He was the leading rusher yesterday. Kurt Benkert seems to really just be looking the way Olamide Zacchaeus, 12 catches, 72 yards. He is going to be their leading receiver this year, assuming he stays healthy. He's a guy Benkert has consistently looked to over the past two games. He's a safety blanket receiver for him. Uh, He always finds a way to get open, so that's something to monitor here as we move forward. But, yeah, I mean, Virginia made some mistakes defensively in this game that ended up costing them, especially, like, from about the eight- or nine-minute mark of the second quarter onward and into the third, and that's kind of where Indiana put this thing out of reach. Uh, It was 24-10 to going into the fourth, and you could tell that Virginia just wasn't really going to get back into the game, even though it was still a two-score game at that point. Uh, But that's going to be the issue with Virginia. It's like they don't have the firepower on offense, so they have to have good, solid fundamentals on defense, namely tackling, which was a major issue for them yesterday. They didn't wrap up, had a ton of issues in in that department, and that's what cost them the game, just bad fundamentals defensively. But give credit to Virginia. They were competitive against a team that took Ohio State, not to the wire, about a week and a half ago but in that opener indiana looked really good against ohio state for about a quarter and a half now ohio state's another team that got walloped on saturday against oklahoma on their home turf but ohio state's still a really good team so indiana hung with them for a while virginia was able to hang with indiana at least for a little bit and not completely embarrass themselves on saturday i think that does say something about the the competitiveness under bronco mendenhall which was not there at all last year. So I think there has been at least a small jump, an incremental jump in that department where Virginia is at least more competitive in these games than they were a year ago. I think it's pretty clear at this point that Virginia's got the most of their talent on that team on the defensive side of the ball. And the issue is that that's not the side of the ball that's coming up with, you know, really strong results. Um, Ultimately, I mean, it wasn't like Indiana, again, totally ran away with this. They end up with 34 points and, and just a little over 300 yards of offense. But when when it really comes down to it, when, when, when it really counts, Virginia's defense is not really able to come up with a big stop right now. And given that, you know, and, and then the fact that their offense is as efficient as it is, I, I don't know. I, I just don't know how far this team can go. I, I don't know how much – I mean, you're probably right to say that we're seeing some improvement from where they were this time last year. I just wonder if you're seeing really the incremental improvement that you're expecting to see in year two. Uh, it's it's marginally better, but when you know, you're getting beaten by 17 points at home by an average team like Indiana, I just don't know like how far you are really from even being able to be in the conversation for competing for a division title or even bowl eligibility like this. Yeah, I mean, bull eligibility, I think, is really out of the question for Virginia for another year at least. Uh, but the one positive is they're a little bit more competitive. But that's a great point. I mean, the positives for Virginia heading into the season on paper were on the defensive side of the ball. And that's where the issues are right now. When everybody thought the issues were going to be on offense, the issues are actually on defense. And that's the problem for Virginia. And that's something they're going to have to overcome if they want to take a step forward in their record. I mean, they only won two games last year. They're going to try to win three or four this year. And it sounds like a doable task, but if they're, you know, practicing for poor fundamentals in the secondary, especially with what they were doing yesterday, Simi Cobb's running all over the field. I mean, you can't have that happen. So that's something to watch for here for Virginia moving forward. Let's move on, Mike. Middle Tennessee 30, Syracuse 23, and a game that really surprised, I think, both of us. Yeah, hello. Yeah, uh, a home game for Syracuse. We thought we're, they were going to get right a little bit uh, and, and be able to put up some points. Ultimately, they, they don't. They put up 23 points against uh, maybe a decent Middle Tennessee State team, if you want to give them that. Neither of us really had a chance to watch this game all that closely, but I, one of the things that sticks out to me looking at the, the recap of this is that Syracuse really struggled to finish drives here. And, you know, tell me if you've heard this before, but uh, Syracuse in the first half had a turnover on downs, fourth and one at the Middle Tennessee eight, so they were in the red zone. Next drive, they kicked a field goal from the Middle Tennessee four. 
uh, again, deep in the red zone, weren't able to turn that into a touchdown. Uh, later in the game, turnover on downs to end it in Middle Tennessee's territory, uh, an interception in Middle Tennessee territory. Uh, they had a missed field goal from Middle Tennessee territory, the 22. This is this is an issue right now for for Syracuse and for several teams in the ACC is actually getting to finish drives. Overall, in a lot of ways, Syracuse is a better team in this game. I mean, they they uh, they outpossessed Middle Tennessee State by close to seven minutes. Uh, Middle Tennessee turned it over three times to Syracuse's two. Syracuse had five more first downs in this game. I mean, there were a lot of ways in which. Uh, Syracuse was a better team here, but because they couldn't finish drives and punch it in and hit field goals and, and score touchdowns, that's why they were held back, and that's why they lose this game, even though they were about 10-point favorites here, Mike. Yeah, Middle Tennessee actually outgained Syracuse in this game, so for all of the positives there that you just mentioned for Syracuse, Middle Tennessee actually outgains Syracuse. And the reason why Middle Tennessee was able to do that is because Syracuse had a lot of trouble throwing the football in this game which is incredible to say considering the hype train for Eric Dungy, which I know you're on, and I love Dungy as well. Only 180 yards yesterday on 42 attempts. That's 4.3 yards per completion. Didn't throw a touchdown pass, which I think is a bigger upset even than them losing this game is the fact that Dungy didn't throw a touchdown pass yesterday. Did throw a pick. Um, as you mentioned, Syracuse had one additional turnover in this game. Syracuse's defense had a lot of issues in the secondary. Um there were two different receivers from Middle Tennessee that had at least seven catches. Um, Richie James and Ty Lee combined 15 carries for, let's do the math here, to carry the one, 172 yards and two touchdowns. Um, yeah, that's something like 11 yards per catch, roughly, which is <laughs> that's rough. Um, so, look, if you're Syracuse, is back to the drawing board. You know the weaknesses are obviously on the defensive side of the ball if you're Dino Babers, but... I think the one major concern offensively, as you mentioned, is the inability to finish drives. And if you can't finish drives, if you're Syracuse and your defense is going to be left out on island with a unit that's not very good, it's going to be a long season. You're going to lose a lot of games that you should win. And I think that's the prime example of this game on Saturday. They lost a game that they should have won against Middle Tennessee. Let's move on, Mike. Let's go quickly. Uh, NC State 37, Marshall 20. This was also not a very pretty game for NC State. They struggled through this. Uh, it was 10-3 Marshall after the first quarter. It was uh, 23-20 at halftime for NC State. Uh, they ended up pulling away in the second half. But, again, this was not particularly pretty. The thing that jumps out to me here, Marshall goes 350 yards, two touchdowns and a pick through the air, plus another 100 yards on the ground on 25 carries. Where's this vaunted NC State defense that we were hearing about all before the season, Mike? This is not, this has not really been what we uh, signed up for here so far this year. After a, a sluggish performance against South Carolina and kind of another one here against a significantly less qualified Marshall team. Yeah, so we hyped up the front seven of NC State quite a bit. They only had one sack yesterday, um, which is mm. a major problem. So the 350 yards passing, which you alluded to, gave up over 101 yards on the ground. That's 6.6 yards per play, by the way. Yeah, so that's not good for NC State. Now, you do win the game as you're supposed to. Ryan Finley, again, looked really good, so that's a positive, right? 29-36 for three, 341 yards, three touchdowns, 9.5 yards per completion. But defensively is where the issues lie for NC State, and we were talking about the front seven being really solid, but they haven't really gotten much of a pass rush through these first two games. They had issues getting to the passer against South Carolina as well a week ago. They didn't get the get to the passer Chase Litton in this game for Marshall. That's going to be something to monitor for NC State here because if they can't rush the quarterback, that secondary is not good enough to compete. The weakness for NC State is in the back end of the defense in the secondary. The strengths are in that front seven and the ability to get a strong pass rush, but they haven't done that yet through two games. And what you saw from Marshall's leading receiver on Saturday, Tyree Brady, 11 catches, 248 yards and a touchdown, 22.5 yards per catch. Good so Lord. That gives you an idea of what's going to happen to this NC State secondary if you can't get a strong pass rush on the quarterback. So that's something to watch heading into the coming weeks, Joey. But NC State gets a much-needed win after a rough week one loss where they were the better team. They were the better team again on Saturday. I know we're hyping this up like Marshall was like really in this thing, but they weren't. Um, NC State took care of business at home like they should, and they'll move on to week three. Yeah, 
we'll see where it goes for NC State here. Let's move on. Georgia Tech 37, Jacksonville State 10. We'll talk really quickly about this. I, I watched this one obviously very closely. Was really not impressed with a lot of what I saw from Georgia Tech's offense. They finished with only 210 yards on the ground on almost on 49 carries. Uh, it wasn't great. Take one Marshall goes five of seven, 112 yards, three touchdowns. He was really hey, good yo. through the air. Yeah, he was solid. Ultimately, this team on both sides of the ball looked extremely sluggish in this game. Very unimpressive for especially for the entire first half. Uh, they they got a, a, an easy quick turnover and scored some points at the end of the first half to take a 10-7 lead. They ended up putting Jacksonville State away very nicely. They go 27-3 in the second half for a 37-10 final. Uh, ultimately, I, I'm going to tell you this right now, Mike. Don't draw any conclusions from this game whatsoever. Georgia Tech was playing this game on four days rest. They played Monday night, uh, late into the night, on a, an emotional, physical defeat. And then they turn around four days later, play a Jacksonville State team that hadn't played in two weeks and is also pretty dang talented. And we said there's something to worry about there. Uh, they had two weeks rest, and, and for a while it, it really looked a lot like it. And so this was a dangerous game for Georgia Tech. They create some turnovers in the second half to get some easy points. Ended up cruising to a 27-point win, but uh, you know, as much as it was a struggle through a lot of the game, again, don't draw any conclusions here. This is not a normal game by any stretch of the imagination, and, and it, it is really one of those things. I, I said this about the Boston College game last year: is you're playing across the pond on a field wasn't made for football. First game of the season, one of the better defenses you'll play. Like blah blah blah. This is not indicative of what Georgia Tech's going to be this year. Uh, so just. Let's just take this win and move on. And next week, you got a weird game at Central Florida that you might learn a little bit more about this team in. But for now, it, I mean, it is what it is. Let's just leave it alone. If you're not going to draw any conclusions from that, don't draw any conclusions from the next game that I was actually in attendance for. Virginia Tech 27, Delaware nothing. Hard to get up for a game the week after beating West Virginia on Sunday night. Also on a short week, Joey. Not quite as short as Georgia Tech, but also on a short week. Delaware came to town. First ever game between Delaware and Virginia Tech. Um, Delaware comes to Blacksburg. And Virginia Tech had a lot of issues moving the football and finishing drives in this game, much like NC State had trouble um, finishing drives at times. Um, look, there are issues there for the Hokies. Syracuse had tr we, We've seen it across the conference this weekend. Syracuse had trouble finishing drives as well. Hokies win 27-0. It's Greg Stroman, 61-yard punt return to the house. Delaware botched a field goal, a short field goal attempt in this game. They were driving on Virginia Tech and threw an interception inside the 15-yard line. So Delaware had their chances to keep this thing close, but at the end of the day, that's why you're Delaware playing the FCS and you're not Virginia Tech playing the ACC. But Delaware, I came away very impressed by them. I thought they were really well coached, but their offense – really struggled against the Virginia Tech defense. That's the one positive I'll take out of this game. Overarching point, running game for Virginia Tech is not good. It hasn't been good in two years now under Justin Fuente. We're in we're in the middle of year two now. 28 carries, 81 yards in the second game of the year for the Hokies. Not good. They ran the ball okay last weekend against West Virginia, but not great. They just did enough to mix in with the passing game of Josh Jackson. They have to figure out how to run the ball over the next couple weeks. Virginia Tech goes on the road next Saturday against East Carolina. Following weekend, they return home against ODU before their September 30th date against Clemson, who will surely be, if not undefeated, with only one loss. They're going to be really good coming to town with that defense that we've lauded so much on the early part of this podcast. So Virginia Tech needs to figure things out. On the offensive end of the football, they need to run the football better to mix things up, or Josh Jackson, a redshirt freshman, will be eaten alive at quarterback when Clemson comes to town in three weeks. But Virginia Tech wins. Move on. Don't draw any conclusions from this game. It was a short week. If they do something similar against East Carolina and ODU where they're having trouble finishing drives and scoring, then maybe we'll think it's a little bit more of an issue. But until then, Virginia Tech is now 2-0. They move on. Their toughest games are ahead of them, so take the victory and run Joey Hokies 27 Delaware nothing there were two more games Mike this weekend that didn't actually get played that was number 16 Miami at Arkansas State and number 10 Florida State at home against Louisiana Monroe both those games canceled thanks to the sweet sweet Hurricane Irma uh, currently as we speak uh, that is is giving Florida a whole lot of problems if you are listening to this and you are also dealing with the effects of Hurricane Irma our thoughts and our prayers are with you 
this sounds like a totally brutal storm that it is it is no mystery that these games were not able to be played uh, and it's going to have some very very large effects on the state obviously uh, we've got a bit of news to go along with these games Mike it was released by the ACC here in the last 24 hours or so that uh, next week Miami was supposed to play at Florida State and this game was moved from this next weekend all the way back to October 7th is Saturday uh, here about th- uh, four weeks from now the uh, the other effect on that game is that the following Thursday on October 12th is when Georgia Tech is supposed to travel to Miami and because of the short week that that would create for the Hurricanes they're going to push that back to the following Saturday so instead of October 12th that's now an October 14th game uh, ultimately it's it's looking like Miami and Florida State are probably going to end up only playing 11 regular season games I don't think either one's going to go back and play Arkansas State or Louisiana Monroe I don't think that's going to really have any effect on anything. They're, they're neither one's going to be really you know scratching and clawing for bowl eligibility, so it's not a big deal. Uh, I will say the biggest thing that maybe came out of this was Arkansas State. There were some uh, bloggers or something on their side that were really giving Miami a whole lot of grief. Uh, our, our friend Cam Underwood penned a wonderful article just kind of uh, re- rebuting all of that, and, and it was really embarrassing from Arkansas State that – there was a lot of concern that maybe Miami was afraid to play them or something like that. And, and if you're really thinking that Miami's canceling this game out of concerns over, you know, maybe they might lose or something, I, I, my message to you is grow up. Uh, my goodness. that like Clearly, in Arkansas, you don't really understand how this storm is going to affect Miami in the way that it is. And so uh, please try to understand those concerns that they're having and, uh, and, and don't sit here and act like they're just, oh, they're just afraid to play us here at the uh, Big Bad Arkansas State University. Uh, come on, be better than that. Arkansas sounded, uh, with these bloggers' comments to Cam and to State of the U and to the Miami Hurricanes and their players and their coaches, Arkansas sounded uns- the Arkansas bloggers sounded uncivilized. Like they weren't even aware of what was going on and what a hurricane was. So get it together. Um, I agree with everything you just said. No reason to continue to harp on it. But, yeah, not a great look for Arkansas State and their bloggers and the people that follow that team. Miami is not afraid of Arkansas State. I can guarantee you that. Nor should they be. Uh, speaking of embarrassing things to be said, Mike, can we talk about the Go ACC moment of the week? Yes, let's do it. That's a perfect segue. Uh, Mike, I'm going to read you a quote here. And and this comes from a a certain player on a certain team. And you're going to very quickly figure out which team this is from. Uh, His name is Andre Smith. He plays linebacker. He gave us a quote this past week. It goes as follows. Quote, We definitely don't want it to be the Lamar Jackson show. So if he's able to beat us with his arm, then... Well, he's not going to beat us at all. I take that back. He's not going to beat us. We're just going to stop anything that he tries to do. He's not going to be able to run on us. We have everything solidified with that, and we'll cover downfield. And if the receiver's going to make a good play like they did on Saturday here, Cal, then, I mean, it is what it is. So, I just, you know, again, this is uh, Andre Smith extremely, extremely confident about what his defense is going to do against Lamar Jackson. Your thoughts, Mike? Andre Smith plays for North Carolina, by the way. So, mm. not a mystery what team he plays for. Mm. Um, my thoughts on the quote, well, he's an idiot because Lamar Jackson went 25 of 39 for 393 yards and three touchdowns. He added 19 carries for 132 yards and three more touchdowns. Six total touchdowns on the day. Well over 500 yards of offense. So... Believe it or not, the reigning Heisman winner does not need any bulletin board material, but the Go ACC moment of the week goes to Andre Smith for giving the reigning Heisman winner bulletin board material and thus yielding 500 yards of offense and six touchdowns. So congratulations, Andre Smith. You are our week two recipient of the Go ACC moment of the week for 2017. Mike, I don't know that you understand what I would pay to see the looks that all the other guys in the defensive meeting rooms were giving Andre Smith this week of like, are you serious? Are you actually calling out the guy that made a name for himself last year, making other people look silly? I mean, yeah. <laughs> Lamar Jackson, I mean, Andre Smith, to his credit, he was right. Lamar Jackson did basically nothing in this game except put up over 500 yards of offense and six touchdowns by himself. So, uh, yeah, Andre, that's that's cute, and that's good stuff. But, uh, yeah, go ACC to that. Nice, nice try. Uh, it didn't really work. Speaking of trying, Mike, 
the Brian Van Gorder Memorial you tried award this week goes to the Boston College offense, which it, it tried to keep up with Wake Forest and really just kind of made fools of themselves. Yeah, uh, specifically the quarterbacks, 18 of 41, 163, touchdown, three picks. Like I mentioned earlier, four yards per completion on 41 attempts. Uh, not great. No. I've seen better. You lost by 24 points to Wake Forest. Now, Wake Forest offense, um, they're okay. I think that's a nice way of putting it. Um, they're, they're not fine. world. Be- they're, they're not. They're not world beaters. Um, BC had 305 total yards, so they scraped and they clawed to get to that number. But it was a very ugly game for the Boston College offense, and that's something that we can say for. Eh, likely like 75, 80% of the games Boston College will play in this year. It's like, wow, that was really ugly. So congratulations, Boston College. Wake Forest is actually one of the weaker defenses you'll play this year. And you tried to score some points against Wake Forest at home, but you couldn't do it. Good news, Joey. We got an honorable mention from outside the ACC. We sure do. I, I wasn't really sure if I could believe this even when I saw a video of it. Uh, but we do have an honorable mention outside of the conference for the Brian Van Gorder You Tried Award. And um, I, we we got to call out the Louisiana Tech Bulldogs here who really, really tried to punch it in and score here. Uh, and they ended up with and, – and you're hearing this right, Mike. They ended up with third and goal from their own seven-yard line. And, and so take out the and goal part of it. That translates to third and 93. Uh, Dan Mullen and Mississippi State feeling strong about that. Yeah, that's that's some creative strategy when you end up punting on fourth and goal. Um, but Louisiana Tech managed to do it. Uh, there was a snap that went past their quarterback, and it just turned into this whole like wacky races scramble down the field as nobody could secure the ball. There was about six different players that touched it, and finally Louisiana Tech falls on it on their own seven-yard line. Uh, at that point, I don't know why you don't just knock it out of the end zone and, and just take the safety and move on with your lives. But Cut your losses at that point. My goodness. This is a video that literally I, I don't think you should be allowed to watch it without like a yakety sax kind of thing playing in the background. That was a mess. I saw it with Titanic music, which was equally as good. Ooh, so, yes. Yeah, so I'll try to post that to our Twitter page for sure. There you um, go. If I can track that video down. It was fantastic. So That's a winner. Yeah, you see that for like game winners and like, during college basketball season and things of that sort. But, I mean, we get Titanic music to something like that. It's fantastic. Couldn't recommend it more. I'll make sure to post it to our Twitter account. Man, like, if you haven't seen this video yet, like, you, you really just can't understand what happened until you see it because that was a, a really, truly bizarre play um, and really worth watching. It's, it's worth watching. If you're sitting at your desk right now on Monday morning, like, Boss is going to walk in. He's going to want to see this too. So you just go ahead and you know sh- watch it and show somebody that walks in. It's really a sight for sore eyes. So, Mike, I think that about wraps it up, though, for a, an eventful and interesting week two in the ACC. As you mentioned to start the show, we are definitely learning something about some of these teams. We're going to continue to do so here in the coming weeks. Uh, is there anything else from this week that we, we missed out on that you want to hit on before we get out of here? I'm good, man. Yeah, that's. I think we about hit on all of it here. We were planning on doing about 30 minutes, and we did about an hour. So uh, this is going well. I think we covered about all of it. Um, anyways, we are going to get out of here. We're going to come back sometime this week and record a preview of week three. We've got some other, some more interesting matchups. And I think really it's week four probably coming up where the rubber really hits the road in the ACC. But we've got some other good matchups in the meantime for week three. We'll talk about those here later this week. In the meantime, you guys can find us on Twitter. I'm at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel ACC, and together we're at BC Podcast ACC. You can also send us an email with your questions, comments, concerns, your thoughts, you know, whatever we missed or are totally wrong about on here or totally right about anything. Send it all to the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. It was a little tricky on the uh, on the mounting part of it, but the dismount was definitely landed very well. Uh, you can also find us on iTunes, on Google Play, on SoundCloud, on Overcast, not on Spotify, not on Stitcher, and we'll see if we can find other podcast platforms that you can or cannot find us on. Uh, Mike, where else can they find us on the social medias? 
Facebook.com slash basketball conference. Rate and review our podcast. By the way, I'm going to make this a little bit easier on everybody. I'm going to throw up a link on our Twitter bio to our Facebook page, to our Google Play address, and to our iTunes page. So you can look there and you can listen to it all three spots. You can go and rate and review on whatever you choose. But I'm going to try to make this easy for everybody so we can get more reviews. Because you guys are still listening to the podcast, which we love, but we would love to have you guys review. So if we throw a link up there for you, I think it'll be a little bit easier for you guys to access. Hopefully that will lead to more reviews and you guys can tell us what you think about the podcast. Some of you have already done that. That's fantastic. Thank you for doing so. But the more reviews, the better. So I'm going to try to make it a little bit easier on everybody and and throw up the links there on our Twitter bio. I think that's probably the easiest way to do it. Absolutely. Come find us again, facebook.com slash basketball conference. But Mike, this has been a good week. Do you want to come back and uh, preview week three here soon? Yeah, absolutely, buddy. Week three should be good. So looking forward to that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it as well. So we'll do that here a little bit later this week. But Uh, Until then, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys for listening. Hope you enjoyed week two. Looking forward to week three. But until then, go ACC. Go ACC.